Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In episode two, my mom, Judy, continues her story of joining the Kobu in its early days as the Forever family. She explains what daily life was like living communally as a wife, then as a young mom. It was actually not too long after giving birth to me that my parents started to question life in the Kobu, a theme we'll dive into more deeply on the next episode. For now, my mom remembers how the group functioned in the early days and her initial impressions of Stuart Trail. Okay, so it was the summer, or it was the spring of 1973 mm -hmm. when you first discovered the Forever Family, Correct. as it was called then. Correct. You were going to the meetings in Harrisburg. Yep. You met my dad, Ray, who was in charge of one of the groups, and you were still working outside of the group. Were a lot of people still working some at people, regular jobs? Yes, some people were. Um, the the main okay. thing that, uh, in when we'd go to Allentown, a lot of people there were doing things with vacuums because that's what Stuart had come from. So he was teaching some of them because, I mean, th these are kids that some are in college, some aren't. So some of the people in Harrisburg did that, but some of them actually had jobs. You know, right, just to support the the household, but the money didn't go back to Allentown or anything. It supported the house for food and rent and whatever. Right, because at Guess. first it was much different than what the Kobu turned into later, which was everyone handing their wages over to Stuart. Correct, but that's when he gathered everybody into one spot. Yeah, which is you know, you can control things easier than if they're at all these houses all over creation. So at the beginning, it was really self supporting at each house. You mm -hmm. guys would share money. Well, you weren't even living there yet, right? But were right. you there for meals? Were you there for um, not other really. things? Okay. Not really. Maybe a snack or something. We'd go out to diners or, you know, things like that. Did you tell your parents that you were visiting this uh, place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What they did they knew. think? They knew. Um, I think my dad was like, you know, what's it about? I told him he didn't get it much. I told my mom all about it and I'd show her stuff that I learned in my Bible, you know, if I underlined it. She was very interested because like I said, she was more spiritual in that way, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, but I'm sure they were like, hmm. Because so. you met Ray, my dad, mm -hmm. and things moved really quickly with that. Right. And then with the group. 
Right. So how, just tell us about spring, summer, and fall. Uh, spring, what summer, happened? it was just really busy. It was sort of like a whirlwind, but it was just really busy. Just always uh, being there, going to the meetings, going out, learning things, having Bible studies, learning a lot. And I liked the intensity of it. It wasn't a mad intensity, but I liked the fact that if I was going to do this, this is what I should do. That going to church once a week, which there's nothing wrong with that. I felt like you couldn't really live it. So what was the forever family teaching then that um, like made you feel like this is really just that you, cool. you live it, live um, what? live the, the Christian life completely that you, uh, you know, you work, but your main goal is to be a Christian is to serve as a Christian, to save others to, or to, to save just others, like talk about the Bible to, or to, to bring other people in, like okay. bring other people into the fold. It was always talked about sheep and lambs and things like that. And that everybody else was lazy. They were lazy Christians. This was Stuart's. Mm -hmm. They were lazy line. Christians. Don't, uh, don't trust anybody over 30, which he was, but you know, that they mean well, but they're just watered down. They don't really know. We know the truth. We are delving. And it wasn't like there was anything weird or illegal going on. Right. People were not having a sex outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. No one was living together unless they were married. No drugs or alcohol. Nothing. It was just trying to walk the walk is what it was. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I liked that because I was looking for something not extreme, but I thought if I'm going to do something like this, I want to do it all the way besides like coming a nun or, so, you know, whatever. So I, it, it, it appealed to me. And people were allowed to have relationships then, mm -hmm. which changed mm -hmm. years later in the Kobu. Right. But people were allowed to have relationships, get married, have babies. And you did all of that. We in did. This group. In fact, that's what, ha I mean, by November I was married, which is ridiculously so fast. So you, you met, you met the group and my dad in the spring right. of 73. Right. And by the Fall of 73, you were married. November. Yep. To him. Here's the thing. And you were 20. <clears throat> you just turned 20. 20. I turned 20 in July. Yeah. And um, I never thought that was going to happen. It was a kind of thing like you're like-minded. Any two dedicated Christians could probably get along as long as you're both dedicated Christians. And that's all you were talking about? Well, that's, well but also I remember Stuart teaching, which, which this promoted marriage, which is so unlike what happened later. Yeah. He used the verse in the Bible that it is better to marry than to burn a flame with passion, where you just want to, you know, be with the other person and just like love each other up and, you know. So just get married to someone. No, 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 okay. no, no. He meant like if two people are attracted to each other, you know, that, that, that if you feel like you really have to and should because you can't live together something then you should get married mm -hmm. which is totally not what he taught okay later on later on yeah because yeah, he got really scared of married people later on mm -hmm. but at this point the group is so new well, because there's strength in numbers right which is what he was hoping for right and so he so you got married other people were getting married oh too. there were people already a bunch married of friends. oh yeah we had a bunch of friends who got married within that year and then we'd be like oh did you hear so-and-so is marrying so-and-so oh you know so I got married in our house. I had friends there. I had previous friends to the Forever Family. Right. I got married by our minister yeah. from um, our my mom's minister from the Episcopal Church. You thought we were just all crazy. Right. Didn't everybody like show up in jeans? And, <laughs> some. Or no. Some okay. did. But I mean, you were 
Nina's wedding dress. I wore my mom's wedding dress. It was beautiful. And all these Your people from this commune. Well, no, some people wore like halfway decent stuff. Okay. But there weren't a lot. It was only like 20 people. Right. You know, so we got, and, um, and that was that. And then I moved over there because by then they had two houses, one across the street from each other. So I, we lived upstairs and another married couple who we know to this day and are friends with, um, lived downstairs. And this was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Correct. And I was town. Still, yep. Mm-hmm. I was still working for the state of Pennsylvania. Now, were these houses nice houses? Not really. No. No. They were old and cheap to rent. Now, when I, I've gone by, when we still live there, it's a section of town that's like all up and coming. Like people have gutted them and turned them into really awesome looking places. Right. You know. Which is sort of like that translated to every city you lived in. Correct. Like the Bowery District in Manhattan and stuff like exactly. that. It was like really gross when exactly. you guys were there. But Bleecker Street. Yeah. Yep. But then it turns hip. Baltimore. We lived in an area, this house. You lived in the wire in Baltimore. We lived on Utah Place. <laughs> if anybody knows where Utah Place is. And the house was huge. Just, it, it had been like probably a mansion at one time. Even though it was a row home, it was like four floors. And I mean, they had servants' quarters. The place was huge, but really run down. Right. We saw the, oh, we were walking down the street and the police stopped by. I'm sorry, I'm going ahead. But no, the police okay. stopped us and said, well, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And we're like, oh, we live here. We live right over here. And he's like, this is a cop killer neighborhood. <laughs> we never had a problem, but it was that yeah. we never got like nice places. Too expensive. No. So back to the Harrisburg house, you guys were living sort of in these rundown houses. Right. You would all pool your rent together mm-hmm. and then you pay the rent directly. Is that how it worked mm-hmm. back then? Mm-hmm. So Stuart really wasn't at the helm of that no, yet. Not at, at all. all. Not at all. And then, but you would go to the big meetings and see Stuart there. Right. And what was your impression? Did you have an impression or were I did. you, what did you think? I did. I thought that it was really weird that his wife walked around in high heels in these short, like Shirley Temple dresses. Even this is though- his first wife. Mm-hmm. And her name was Shirley. Shirley, didn't she wear? Yeah, she wore like really like well, they, childish. Well, the dresses were skirts and the stuff. dress weren't childish. Like they they were like you know they'd be like a little bit low cut and but they were always really short and they and she would have like almost I don't know if you remember what crenolines are they were the, yeah they were the slips that like scratch the heck out of your legs and stuff it was be that kind of thing she'd have on like spiked high heels which weren't. The fashion at all back then. No. People were wearing wedges and clogs. And And his kids, there's a difference between having long hair and being hippish and just being dirty and unkempt. And his kids looked like that. Dirty. And unkempt their hair all over the place and just, you know, but I was like, well, you know, that's Stuart and Shirley and their kids. I'm sure they're special. And she was like really looking like a throwback. Yeah, she had had like a, um, a Loretta Lynn. Right. Long and like curly wavy and the, the dress and the spiked high heels. And I remember saying, what, what is that? And they're like, oh, that's, he likes her to dress that way. And then she would have to sit like down at the right of him and just sit there for hours and hours and hours and not really say anything. And the kids, you know, his kids would have to sit and run around. But he'd talk about, how, you know, what a great daddy was and how his kids were going to grow up bright. And I, okay. Whatever. Yeah, huge, they didn't. Huge scandals with them they later. They didn't, yeah. He had supposedly, everybody was like, isn't this wonderful? He had uh, worked at an orphanage and supposedly rescued her from there. Shirley, his yes. wife? Yes. He was much older than her or uh, a little uh, bit older than uh, her? 10 years tops. 10 years, okay. You know, but if he was 27 and she was 17... Yeah. It's still illegal. Right. But I don't know how old she was, so I can't really say. Maybe of legal age, and then he took her with him. I don't know. So he found his first wife in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Which we just thought was just so sweet and tender. And now I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I don't know where I, my head was, but whatever. Which is what happens. You yeah. Know? I'm, I'm normal, but I mean, this happens. I yeah. look at other people. How could you have not known that? Because you don't. And you're right. not looking for it. Right. You're looking for something good. You're not looking for like a diabolical mastermind no. who's going to ruin everybody's no. life. Leah Remini, she's like, I thought I was helping the world. I know. And she's got tears coming down her face. It's the truth. I know. And I just remember this nagging thing, which years later came to turn out to be true, you know. Other Christians would come to the meeting and it was almost like I'd be like, don't come in, you know, because he would just uh, dive right into them and just like demolish anything they had to say, acted like they didn't know anything about God. I mean, he would just, till they finally left and thought, what in the world? He was just nasty. He claimed I'm loving them because mm -hmm. I'm telling them the truth. The hard thing is, is he was, but he, you, he's, you, a lot of things he'd say out of the Bible, he was twisting it for not what it really meant. Not no sexual, weird, but just he didn't want anybody else to interfere with what he had going on there. And what was his belief system? It was all logic and reason <laughs> yep. and being confrontational. And he, there was no grace or love or forgiveness no. or like brotherly affection. You know, like James LaRue, who I'm going to have on the podcast too, who was in the Kobu for many years. His books later. Are interesting. Yep. And he's going to talk about his books that we both read. He described it as almost like he, he described what he lived in as more like a death camp. Oh yeah. I couldn't like relate. all you did was work. Right. And get yelled at. Right. You know, and so you start, you weren't in that situation yet, but you started to see like the anger and the confrontation and that people were just always torn down. Cause that was Stuart's MO too, to, was. to verbally abuse people right. and, and shame them in right. public. Right. And he also was really hard on women and really misogynistic, which came out maybe later. Right, it did. But he back then, he was a name caller. Yeah, like he was awful. He would call, like, here's an example. If somebody said, well, you know, I don't, I, I think he's just, this person's just come to talk to us, you know, about um, what, what we do here. And he'd be like, okay, thank you, mother. You don't need to mother him. That right. was a term. You're mothering him. That right. meant stop feeling sorry for somebody. Was he just immature? Like, would you call him? Or was he no. just mean-spirited? You know, he really attracted young people. He, he everybody had to be like, young. Yeah. And then he, it was like he was going to guide us. And, and when he was saying things to people or outsiders would come in and he'd be nasty in that way. And just he would just hammer them and hammer them and hammer them, you know, with things from the Bible. And I don't know if he consciously was like, I'm going to do this because I need to get them all on my side. And then eventually we're all going to go to New York City and then I'm going to get all their money. And, you know, I don't know that that thought was right there then but it was a whole control thing whether it was okay he thought he was only going to have 100 people and just stay in allentown forever or what but it was a control thing yeah this is the question i have because he did end up making this into a bigger master plan but why did he start it out like this you know it's like who was he then he, he was just this guy who wanted to control a group of people and so he did it through this quote, religious. Memes. I think he started out thinking that he really knew, but what it turned into is if you didn't follow that, you know, the, the strictest of guidelines that were almost humanly impossible, mm -hmm. then you weren't a Christian. 
the the term backslidden, if anybody's heard it, it means like you fall away from that religion or you backslide into the world or whatever. You could leave there and like go on a mm-hmm. mission trip mm-hmm. for a church and be saving lives all over. You were still backslidden. You weren't as good. They weren't doing anything. Like we, it was interesting because I just realized when you were asking me, well, what was their mission? What did they do? Not really anything, but build themselves up. <laughs> Nobody was helping anybody. See, this is the interesting thing because when you dive down into like the bigger, big name ones like Scientology and stuff, like mm-hmm. people enter like, well, we're saving the world. We're doing it. And it's like, well, what were you doing? And it ends up when you look at the bigger view from mm-hmm. from space mm-hmm. that it's actually you're just making the organization money. Right. But you thought you were doing something mm-hmm. else. So that mm-hmm. is the question that mm-hmm. it's like you're asking later, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. So, and what was he doing? He exactly. wasn't helping anyone. Exactly. You were just building your thing internally and just bringing more right. members in. and just, just so you could add mm-hmm. to the number. So how did it grow then? And how did it over the next year transform? Because you were married. Right. You and dad then, well, you got pregnant really well, in the first year of your marriage with right. me. We got married on November 9th and I had you the following year, November 26th. Right. So that happened pretty fast. Right after you were born. They asked us to go to Baltimore to help uh, start that house and run that house. And we did it in cooperation with the house that was in D.C. So now there are more houses throughout the Northeast and Jersey. And I can't really read it. It had grown, though. Correct. Was it still called the Forever Family when I was born? Yes. Okay. And um, so 1974. Yeah, I can't remember when it was changed to. I think it was changed to Kobu by the time we got to Baltimore. I'm sketchy about that, but I remember when they changed it. Everybody was sort of happy because the Forever Family did sound childish, and it was like I think in the it back of our creepy. minds we were all still like, "What is our purpose?" And so then when it was called the Church of Bible Understanding, because we claim that that's was our forte, and. It, Probably was because that's all we did. And I think the reason everybody's happy about that is because they had all these weird doubts about what the heck is going on here. The ch- and, it, and it had the word church in it. So the Stuart, church. when I looked up some articles, it, it mean that he could incorporate as a church, as Correct. a religion and become tax exempt. And so right. all the businesses that he opened under the Kobu right. could have that right. tax exempt status. And we thought that was great. Yeah. We were like, yay. And he also said it's, he didn't say, but th- there was... A lot of chatter about it sounded less like a cult. Oh, because of the course. Forever Family completely right. sounds like sound a cult. sound like a bunch of kids. Right. And we weren't kids anymore. And we were all getting married and having children and, you know, bringing other people in. And, and it didn't sound like an end times apocalyptic thing oh, no. either. The Forever Family kind of does sound yeah. like that. Right. Uh, more than kind of. Right. It sounds like we're all heading See. into the fire together. But was he apocalyptic, end times focused, like no. other cults out there were like I and but but I read in James's books especially they did talk a lot about the second coming and the apocalypse like well, over and over again but they weren't doing that when you were there no he, we would talk about the second coming but that was more of a threat of like you better straighten up because if the second coming happens tomorrow right. you're, you're screwed which wasn't true at all and isn't true everything was by fear and intimidation and then it turned into fear intimidation lack of sleep and lack of resources to leave that Right. That's what the whole thing turned into. And James and the Roots thinks the same and anybody you talk to anywhere. Yeah. And that's the whole plan. Whether he had that planned, I think it happened as it went along. And then he started having these visions of grandeur. But so we moved to Baltimore and that was going well. You were over a year old. And I had all kinds of complications. Oh, yeah. Well, that's when you were born. You had a, a, ventricular, a ventricular septal defect, which is a hole in your heart, which I had a baby brother who died from that at a month old. Yeah. We found that out when you were born. 
So when we were in Baltimore, we went to Johns Hopkins. They had to give you at six weeks old a cardiac catheterization where they go up and yeah. they go up there and put dye in there to look at it. Turned out it wasn't at all as bad as they thought. By the time you were a year old, it had grown shut. Mm-hmm. Thank God. You know, mm-hmm. so that all turned. So it, but you it, were living with the members of the COBU right. during this. Right. And were they supportive and oh, yeah. helpful? Oh, and yeah. Did you have an, and you had Easter seals covering this at the time? Easter like, seals. Yeah. Easter seals. They got us set up with Easter seals out of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I would stay there many nights because you were on a intensive care for uh, children two years old and under. And that was just, oh my gosh, there, you know, a lot of sick. At Johns Hopkins. At Johns too. Hopkins. It's like the most severe cases. People were flown in by helicopter. Their parents didn't have money to come visit them. But I'm sure it's set up differently now. You know, but, but did you feel like you had, like, you didn't have your family near you because you were in Baltimore when right. all this was going on. Hour and a half. You, but did you feel like this was your family? Like yeah, but, they were my, but see, I kept, to you? I, I kept my mom posted. She would come and visit us sometimes in Baltimore. Right. You didn't cut your family off. No. That's nope. huge. Nope. In fact... And they didn't cut you off. No. And we would go home like for Thanksgiving. Yeah. It was still okay to do that kind of stuff. You Later know? on, Stuart wouldn't allow any of that. Well, you could do whatever you wanted. But it was like, that was of your old nature. That's of the, like the flesh, the flesh and the spirit, you know, just because he didn't have anybody doesn't mean other people did, you know. But So when we were in Baltimore, you were about a year old and they're going to start the Manhattan Training Center. Right. MTC. Which later became known as the Manhattan Draining Center. <laughs> Didn't know that, yeah. but how true was that? So now we've gone from FF to Kobu. We're still Kobu, but we're going to be at the MTC. Well, then this whole thing started. You know, we need, we're not kids anymore. Let's cut our hair. So everybody took their ponytails and, you know, and the guys went and got regular really? haircuts. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that they had you guys all It wasn't that. said by Stuart, but it sort of went down through the thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to cut my hair. We're getting too old for this. And we weren't old. You guys were like 19. <laughs> I was like 23. <laughs> so they got their haircut. It was like a whole new thing. And it was like real hopeful. And, you know, we closed down all the houses and anybody who was going with and we all went to Manhattan and we ran into people we knew were like, hey, you're here too. And da, da, da. It's like summer camp. Well, at first, everybody's like, oh, it's a punishment because the brothers really needed direction. See, it was the brothers. They, they That which, lasted forever. James LaRue. Every time I read it, I felt sick in my stomach. It was always about beating down the men. And he hated women, obviously. Get a new, uh, you know, yeah. genre. I mean, really? Yeah. So I don't get it, though. Why do they call it the Manhattan Training Center? What were they training you to do? To work really hard, don't sleep, and make more money Yeah, is what it turned out to be. So what kind of places were you living in and where? Well, it all started out, and they had this big, huge loft on Bleecker Street, which you couldn't touch today. But it was, I mean, huge. Actually, it was so big that one of the floors below us, we were like on the third floor, I think. One of the floors below us, the loft was so big, it was actually like a clothing manufacturer. Right. This is 1975. We were like right next door to the Village Voice, the newspaper, right across the street, there was a whole, um, uh, like a homeless type thing that nuns ran. We We were near Washington Square Park. Down from there. We were actually close to 6th Avenue, which back then they changed to Avenue of the Americas, not far from Canal Street, you know. Now I would probably get lost. We used to walk all over the place and know what we were doing, you know. But It was a different New York City then. Oh, it was too. completely It wasn't different. Disneyland. No, I don't even remember tourists seeing came. tourists. Right. They People probably- didn't really visit <laughs> 
Well, they, Manhattan back then. Well, yeah. And go to those sections at right, least. Right, right. Anyway, so we were all going to go there, and I guess it was going to be for all the brothers, and we'd have these meetings, and we'd have, you know, you'd have your kids there, and we all had different lofts and areas. Some people were at Spring Street. There was a Spring Street loft. Um, we were on Bowery, which sounds awful because you think it was back then it was all drunks, but we had a really nice loft and we were there with several families and you were with us. So and describe the space. So was it like a big wide open warehouse with poles and just beds everywhere? Did you have rooms? Um, in the different lot, the lofts weren't as big as where the meetings were, that big, huge place okay. I talked about on Bleecker. No, they they w- divided up. People would actually like put up blankets and I it remember was a that. big wide open space. It was a big wide open space. So there wasn't a lot of privacy. It was like a hurricane Katrina like rescue center that's what I remember it looking like with blankets dividing Mm -hmm. and then you'd have like your little section right you know like and have your crib and you know and we would get buy things like um because everybody had children or babies and we would buy like a lot of children pampers and things like we'd get money from the uh group and just buy like cases so then we started trying to organize that and somebody was running okay we had this huge garage facility that just housed food yeah. and you could just go there and get what you needed. And, you know, so it just started to try and get more organized, but it really wasn't. When I look back, it was ridiculous. Like it was the 20 year olds trying to lead the teenagers who. Because Stuart never lived among you. Oh no, he was living in Teaneck, New Jersey. Exactly. In a nice home. And then ended up getting a plane, which we were like, isn't that great? With all of your money. Yeah. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So what was the business that all of the guys were working in? Carpet cleaning. And what did that? It was called Christian Brothers Carpet Mm -hmm. Cleaning. 
which was spoofed on Seinfeld. I know it was. I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. because they and and As the, the sunshine is, carpet cleaners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was all mad because they he no matter what he did, they would not talk to him about uh, Christ. They wouldn't witness to him. They wouldn't like, recruit George. No, they That's were right. begging him. Yeah, and yeah. I was hysterical. I knew right away. I'm like, oh man, because they cleaned offices and actually the steam cleaners that they used were fabulous right they really did do a good job at one point we got one and came to my mom's house and did her whole house Stuart really made a bundle on this because he didn't have to pay his employees oh yeah and so he got to keep the profits and he got a tax exempt status right. and they could charge these really competitive prices with companies who had paid employees right and who were paying taxes right so the Christian brothers could come in and clean carpets for like half the price of other people I'm sure and he could make twice or four times the I'm money. sure so they kind of took over they they the sleep deprivation they would keep these guys would work all day and uh, stay up till I mean one two three in the morning listening to him either yelling at them or droning on and picking on somebody and it's their turn that night to be picked on and then having to get back up five, six in the morning, go out and work all day again, you know? And they would never make an actual wage from this. You guys would just get an allowance at the end of the week well, or I, how did know, this work? I, I don't remember exactly how that was. I just know when we, I think they got allowances. At one point he brought, Stuart brought in a guy who, and I, I can picture him and I can't remember his name, who was an accountant. And we were like, wow, he's actually an accountant, like in the real world. And he's working <laughs> the real like, world. We're really stepping up. We are not little kids anymore. Sure, you're sleeping on the floor and whatever. And he and I think they used to be able to get envelopes and like because they would get coffees. I mean, you know, you're you're in New York, you know, you want to get a cannoli. They're all over the place. You know, right. you want to get a coffee, you want to get, you know, a bagel. But it wasn't like anybody was getting rich, you know, off of it or anything. I don't remember specifically to tell you the truth. I just remember everybody was tired of thinking, this is ridiculous, you know, and and you couldn't call or do anything. If you needed to get a hold of Stuart, even if it was a dire emergency, you had to go to somebody else because you could not call that house before noon or one in the afternoon because he was getting his rest. Because he would keep all the, everybody up all night. Right. And I guess everybody's like, well, he he's like the genius, you know, and that's why, it, you know, he needs that rest. It sounds like the L. Ron Hubbard thing. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.